Welcome back to the Snack Walls Podcast. I'm Mike Roberts, your host, and we're here to talk about increasing and maintaining diversity in tech beyond the perks. While companies think they can lure people in with unlimited PTO and dogs in the office, we're here to talk about how you keep them. All right, I'm throwing it over to our special guest today. Can you tell us in a few sentences who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, I'm Jackson Janigam. Uh, thank you for having me. I am the vice president and general manager of direct to consumer for Clorox. Awesome. So glad to have you on the program today. I'm hearing from a lot of leaders uh, in tech that finding diverse talent is a challenge. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it definitely is. You know, I think. Uh, well, first off, you know, I think we need to unpack diversity, right? So I think um, there's a an over index of you'll see a lot of. Asian, Asian American uh, folks in tech, but I think in particular for black and brown professionals, it, it does feel like it's it's, it's lacking uh, from a number standpoint. If you just look at the pure numbers across most of the Fortune 500 and startups, um, but I actually don't think it's a lacking talent. I think it's a lacking of getting in front of the right talent. Right? How do you uh, have the pipeline? Usually, it tends to be the same referrals, the same networks, the same code academies, the same schools, the same access. Right? So if you have access to these things, you have access to these networks. Sure. You get the same opportunities, right? It just proliferates on and on. Just like if you if your Facebook feed is all blue state voters, then you're shocked in November when Trump gets reelected. It's like, well, probably because there's a lot of people out there that you're not connected to. Same thing here. So I think uh, all recruiters and hiring managers. I don't think it's just on recruiters. I think it's actually BS to say my recruiter needs to do better. If you truly care, then go do the work. Go find uh, historically black colleges that have coding academies. Go work with uh, black girls who code, girls who code, right? If you want more gender diversity, if you think that's important, which I think all diversity is important personally. So. So I think it's about getting uh, to people and creating those opportunities to get in front of the right people who might not have the otherwise the access or visibility to see the roles at Google, Facebook, Clorox, or whatever it said startup. Um, so to me, I just think there's some diversity. It's not enough. There's not cultural diversity. And there's some groups that are largely underrepresented, uh, unfortunately. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so what do you think about the push to move um, or pull the requirement for CS degrees for software engineering roles, at least at some of the companies? Yeah, I mean, I, I like it. I mean, again, it just goes back to access, right? Like to me, I, I like hard, hard skills, hard experience, right? And how many people are learning from YouTube, learning from shows like yours, learning from other ways, but either might not have the means or just not interested in going to school. And I think even more so now, right? This is a crazy year. You know, if someone listens to this in a year from now, who knows what admissions are going to be like, right? Because I think kids now have to apply for instance, for undergrad, like in the next two or three months, there's probably a lot of kids who are like, you know what, if this is going to be remote and I, and I, you know, I'm going to be from my parents' bedroom or my bedroom a year from now, do I need to pay twenty, fifteen thousand dollars whatever school is now a year? So I think for many reasons, this is important. So I think it should be a nice optional thing, kind of like an MBA is for a lot, a lot of companies still want you to have the MBA. I don't have an MBA. Um, I couldn't afford to go into that kind of debt. You know, I had undergrad debt for 10 years. That was enough for me, right? And, and I went to a state school that wasn't even very good. Um, I still love Oregon, but just it's not, it's not that, you know, it's not, it's not Ivy League. So for me, uh, I'm, I'm really biased here, Mike. I would say I think it's a great move and I think you should look at the person. And, and honestly, dude, like someone who's self-taught, who figured that shit out, figured out how to code multiple languages from YouTube. That's the kind of person you want on the team because they will figure stuff out. I don't necessarily want the person who needs a teacher, needs hands-on experience. No offense to that. That's great if you have it. But my God, if you're able to do it on your own, that's pretty amazing. That's the person I want. They're resourceful. Yeah, and I love the point that you mentioned, which is it, I often look at it as not binary, right? You, you yes. can go into industry, you can get some experience, and then you can go back like people do for an MBA. You can uh -huh. go back, you can do degree, degree completion, 
A lot yep. of folks will give you some 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 cash to take some classes every every once in a while. So I really do think for a lot of people they should be considering that. And as you said, next year a lot a lot more people will be considering where they want to go, what their path might be. Yeah, that. and Mike, and this also gets to the access thing, right? If you truly care, then this is one of the first things you should drop because there's a lot of people who will never have a chance to go get a degree and go get a school, have the interest, have the knowledge, right? And and this is really important. This is where pay inequality happens. If you drop that you can't hold it against them either. You can't say, well, you didn't get your degree, so I'm going to pay you half what I'm paying him or her who went to a great uh, boot ca- academy or went to a great undergrad school. Like that, That's also really important. Yeah, maybe they're not going to make exactly the same, but it can't be so such a disparity where they can't make it up within a year. In my opinion, there might be a little disparity. I get that. But if they're really good, they should be able to close that gap in the first year. So that should be the percentage, like 5%, 4%, 6%, not 40, 50%. I know that's what will happen. Unfortunately, people will be like, you know, oh, you don't have an undergrad degree, so we had to pay you 60000 Instead of this guy, we're paying 120000 and that's bullshit. And that's why we're going to continue to have these same issues. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's super important is that, that pay equity on that side as well. So let me ask you this. Do you think apprenticeship patterns would work for tech roles? Yeah, if, if defined well, I mean, that's really broad thinking, right? Like uh, an apprenticeship could take on, as you know, many forms, right? If it's very informal, it's like, you know, you're, you're asking someone to mentor you and apprentice you in whatever data science, code engineering, uh, QA, whatever the things you're interested in, then that, that's fine. I think it should be formalized. And I think, yeah, companies should, if you're referring to formalized apprenticeship programs where you come in an intern and you kind of work with people and you work with someone and uh, you get that experience, absolutely. I think still people should get compensated. And if it's more of a mentorship and it's just about spending time with people and learning from them, I think that can also be formalized. Too. It's actually something we've talked about. It's like, how do we participate in a couple right now, uh, boot camp classes and some uh, some like uh, third party groups that are focused on increasing diversity in tech specifically around women and black professionals so my head of engineering is working with them to be a judge on some hackathons and do some things there so i consider that a former apprenticeship and uh, we're sponsoring them too so we're trying to figure out what else can we do what, what are some other opportunities we can expand upon that um, that formalize that kind of network and apprenticeship which goes back to getting that access and creating a, a bridge even if they don't come to work for us uh, which is fine i'd love them to but if they don't work for us i want all these kids and most of them are kids too they're young and they're hungry they just don't know how to get the opportunities um so i think these kind of things do help so whether it's called an apprenticeship or mentorship or internship of some sorts i think some formal outreach and formal engagement from companies and individuals you can't just wait for your company to do either i, I keep hearing people like saying well my company's not doing anything well okay maybe you should raise that but you can also go do something you have linkedin you can go out there and meet people and talk to people i mean time shouldn't be the issue right if you really care about this you can make time doesn't mean you have to dedicate 50 hours a week to it i mean i have two kids under five my job is pretty busy, but I'm, I want to prioritize and make this. I can't spend 40 hours a week on it, but I can spend three or four hours. So what I do, Mike, is anyone who cares about this and wants to mentor, apprenticeship, wants to create change, next time you find yourself 45 minutes on Instagram and you post that nice hashtag about Black Lives Matter and then you're on, on Instagram following musicians and celebrities, take that 45 minutes and go to LinkedIn or go to some other network and actually contribute and actually do something there versus just posting for the hashtag as everyone else is doing it. To me, that's what's going to count and matter and not right now, but a year from now and two years from now. Sure. Uh, so that's the baseline for apprenticeship, mentorship, internship, whatever. You have to have that kind of mentality on an individual level and hopefully on an organizational level. Absolutely. And then taking action, right? I love that part where yes. you, you want to do something, right? You Everyone has a chance. You don't have to have yeah. money. Everyone thinks like, oh, I don't have any money. It's like, you don't need money. You just need time and to prioritize it. So cut out the bullshit, cut out the things that are literally are, we all do them. I do them too. But like, I try to keep myself like, okay, do I need to play another game of 2K as much as I love 2K and it's relaxing me? Or can I go do something else productive? And I got to find the balance, right? But sure. That, sure. that's my point. You got to prioritize. 
Awesome. So we talked a lot about about getting folks in. So what advice would you share with companies that are looking to retain diverse staff? So once you have them, how do you keep them and hold on to them? Yeah, this is a hard one, right? I mean, this is like the big question because everyone's been talking about like, how do we ensure that, you know, we get more diversity in the workforce, right? And you've seen the conversation now and then you're seeing another conversation happening. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a minority. I'm a black professional. I'm a brown professional at a company and I haven't seen any leaders above me who look like me. I don't see any executives who look like me. So like, before we start worrying about hiring people, which is important too, of course, let's also think about, you probably have some employees in your company, whether it's five, hopefully it's more than five or a thousand, 10,000, what are you doing to engage them, right? So I think it's about programs. I think you have to formalize it. I think you have to create opportunities for everyone. You have to identify that there are biases um, and biases that we don't even know about, right? And so if you have an unconscious bias towards someone, right, we all have them. If you have an unconscious bias towards someone, um, then there's no way that person, if they're managing a black employee and they have an unconscious bias, there's no way that black employees will make it past their boss, right? So how do we create equality within a program that, that as much as possible removes those unconscious biases and allows everyone the opportunity to grow? So I think it's training programs. I think it's recognizing talent, giving them opportunities outside the office, uh, like leadership opportunities, getting them more exposure. Um, and, and I think you have to really be consistent about it, right? So I think whether it's an HR committee, a group, whether it's getting people who care about it and creating and formalizing a program for minorities. And, and in particular, again, I think specifically right now, it's, it's black employees too, ensuring there's opportunities for them by creating groups. Because a lot of companies right now have ERGs, right? Employee relations groups sure. focused on. Exactly. But how do you take that from a place that's just a place to talk and share things and, and maybe uh, you know give them a small budget to like actually a formalized initiative that actually helps grow, retain, promote them, right? Because at the end of the day, you're right. It's about, okay, I have uh, an investment in diversity uh, and inclusion, but it doesn't matter if you're not actually giving them opportunity to succeed and move past that manager level or that engineer level, right? Uh, so I think it's, it's formalizing that program and making it very clear and honest that we have an issue. We don't have enough of this reflected in our leadership. So we're going to specifically focus on it to create it. And if someone doesn't like it, then maybe that's not the right place for them, right? If someone's upset or offended by that, and they should probably go somewhere else, right? In my opinion. Awesome. So this is great. I lo- I'm, I'm loving how, first of all, you talk just as fast as I talk. So this yeah, is sorry. wonderful, Jackson. You're like, <laughs> okay. you just like me, like, we're going mile and mile up. So um, who is someone like yourself that you'd like to acknowledge as a, as a leader and should be invited to be a guest on a podcast like this? Oh, man. Uh... You know, I'm a big fan of Musa Tariq. I don't know if you know him. He's awesome. He is, um, he is, uh, he was at Airbnb as a CMO. Before that, he was at Burberry, Nike, Ford. Um, he's very active in the community, in the marketing community. He talks a lot about diversity inclusion as well. He and I uh, met a few years ago. I think he's a really one of the best out there. Um, he's one that comes to mind. Uh, you know, I, I would say, uh, Damian Scott is actually a good friend of mine. He uh, he was editor in chief at Complex Magazine. He's been through the media industry for a long time. Very different than my world, but overlapping, right? As media sure. marketing, yeah. uh, he was at Vibe Forever. Um, really interesting perspective on things from an editorial lens. Um, I think he'd be a wonderful guest. I think either one that would be awesome. It was less so about tech specifically, but more broader topics of sure. absolutely. Um, you know your your topics, which I think are as relevant to anyone, whether you're in marketing or tech or not. Yeah, I think it's important to pull in voices from a whole variety of places because I don't know that tech's getting this right right now. And yes. so I think sometimes looking beyond tech and trying to figure out how do we learn from folks that are doing this well and incorporate that into this ecosystem to make it stronger for everybody that's in it. So yes, I love it. 100%. 
So where can we find out more information about your company? Any shameless plugs? When are we going to get more <laughs> of those wipes? Like, yeah. I need to answer all these things. Uh, I wish I could answer the wipes thing. That one is a, a very hot topic, as you can imagine. Our CEO has been out there talking about all that work and, and, and hard effort the team has been putting into creating uh, supply to meet the demand. So another team's working very hard. Fortunately, I can't specifically speak on that, uh, especially if I, want to, if I want to keep my job. But I know the team is working very, very hard. There's a lot of people way smarter than me at what they do who are, who are on it. I'm not one for shameless plugs, actually, Mike. I always feel like these should be just about your audience and, and your team. So there's things I could plug, but um, I'm not going to. I just, I, I'd rather, you know, focus on what you think your audience truly cares about. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. They might they might care about something that you're passionate about, though. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, you know, we did, we did launch a, one of our new wellness brands. We launched like uh, eight months ago called Objective Wellness. It's focused on moms, dads, parents, um, and Gen X. So I, I don't know how old you are, Mike, but I'm Gen X, and, and we're kind of a forgotten generation. Everyone talks about boomers. Everyone talks about millennials, but then there's all these people like in their late 30s and, and 40s who are like, well, our kids are Gen Z, who everyone's worried about and thinking about with TikTok, but Gen Z has no money. No offense to Gen Z, right? They're they're like 15 years old. They don't have any money. But it's a Gen X parents who are the ones who are coming into their own. So I think uh, we found this opportunity to talk to them specifically. They grew up in the 80s um, and maybe late 70s. Uh, <clears throat> so it's wellness products. It's uh, We have sleep chocolates. We have focus products. Um, we have food items. We have some lotions. All things that are wellness related. Um, it's called objectivewellness.com. So I'm pretty excited about that. We're doing some rebranding now, but it's a fun little brand. Nice. I like it. I'm in there. I'm 45. Just turned 45 oh, this oh, week. So. Dude, yeah. 40, yeah. 42. So you and I, you know exactly what I'm talking about. No one talks oh, yeah. about us. Yeah. <laughs> We're forgotten. Just forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So the most important question of them all now. So what have you been snacking on lately? What's your favorite snack? Man, I am a snack fiend. I came from Box before. I don't know if you, I think you do that. So Box sells a, you know, e-commerce company in Soho uh, and mostly snacks. So, uh, so my, I haven't eaten them in a long time. So I'll say my indulgent one and what I've been eating lately. Uh, my indulgent one is Little Debbie. I grew up on Little Debbie. I grew up in Southern Virginia. Um, Little Debbie was like, this is before the health craze, right, dude? So like, you know, you grew up in the eighties, right? In seventies. Yeah, so early eighties, my parents. Yeah. Not, yeah. Anything's fair. Yeah. Okay, good. So my parents immigrated here. They didn't know any better. Like they, they didn't think about like, does this have gluten? Does this have sugar? It was like, oh, he likes these. These seem good for him. You know, he, he's, he's happy and not good for him. Let, let's get it for him. So I love little Debbie's. The devil twins are like my, my fiend over it. I haven't had in years and they're hard to find actually, I, probably because of sure. nutritional issues, but in certain grocery <laughs> stores, I find them and I'm like, oh shit. I go, I, you should see my eyes, dude. I'm like, I'm like, a, it's not a good look. It's like, I, I go crazy for them. Um, Right now, I just had Oreo uh, mint the other day. That was really, really good. I love, right. I was loving those. Yeah, that was really solid. Uh, and I'm a big Oreo fan. And uh, you know, I, I'm normally um, I, I love sweets. I have, I have a big sweet snack, uh, sweet to it. So Baby Ruth is like my go-to chocolate bar. Ooh, uh, I don't have wow. a chocolate, but I love a good Baby Ruth. That's like, nice. you no, know, I, I, I crave over. It. And then if uh, Girl Scout cookies are around, uh, frozen. All right, all right thin, Jackson. Thinness. Jackson. I just yeah. asked for one. <laughs> all right, dude. You got me going on snacks, Mike. I could go on for days it. on this one. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again for going on the program, Jackson. I really appreciate it. Cool, man. Thanks for having me. The San Diego Code School is a proud sponsor of the Snackwalls podcast. The San Diego Code School is leading companies to tech equity. The tech-enabled apprenticeship program is a venture whose heart is to do a lot of social good and do good work. You can help San Diego Code School secure funding for change by hiring developers, bringing a team in to relieve your backlog, or becoming a program sponsor. You can visit us on the web for more information at http colon forward slash forward slash sdcs.io. 